But, uh, hey, it's really, it's really exciting to be back with you, um, worshiping together again tonight. Um, new year, exciting things I think God has in store for us. Um, thinking back uh, to Christmas for just a quick moment, I don't know how many of you um, took advantage of the video worship guide that we had up online for you for Christmas Day. Maybe you sat at home with your laptop, maybe you had family with you on your computer and you huddled around the computer screen, maybe you were super techie and pulled it up on your flat screen and plugged in your computer. I don't know what you did, you had a little worship service with family or friends, but I just want to encourage us to do that more often uh, this year. Uh, We need to be at our homes with other people talking about Jesus and praising Jesus as we were instructed to do at the end of that video uh, more often this year. You know, one of the best things that we can do um, as Christians to proclaim the gospel message is to invite people over uh, to our place um, and, and to just show hospitality. You know, one of the, the qualifications for an elder uh, in the scriptures is that he must be hospitable and, uh, because he's uh, to set the tone for the church. He's to, to lead the church in that. Um, and, and, and this example of hosting people in your place and, and talking about Jesus often in your home. And so I want to challenge you to do that, to be a people who invite others to your house, uh, your neighbors, uh, family, uh, friends, and just let's open up our doors and really be that kind of people. I realize it takes a lot of effort, uh, but the Lord and his kingdom uh, is, is worth it. So I want to challenge you to do that. One of our values as a church is that the name of Jesus will be on our lips often. And so I pray that that's true in your home, that you would be a home that is just saturated with Jesus-centered conversation. And so I'll challenge you to that um, this new year. Um, all that stems from talking about the, the worship guide uh, online there. So hopefully you enjoyed that. And if you haven't um, and you still want to cling on to Christmas a little bit more, just click it, pull it up, and you can do that. Uh, another thing I want to point your attention to is um, in the back there in the connections area, we have uh, a, a Bible read-through in a year guide that if you want to grab one of those, you can, you can certainly do that. Um, we really want to be a people also who are just really committed to getting into the Word. This isn't uh, reserved uh, for clergy and theologians alone, but this is something that we all value tremendously and find daily life application in. And so uh, maybe you want to just take advantage of grabbing one of those Bible read-through guides and make it a, a, just a, a challenge of yours, a, a resolution of sorts of yours, that you'll read through the Bible in a year. And here's how we've done it, is uh, when we created this thing, we decided we're not going to put dates on there so that every time you look at it, you just feel like a total loser, that you're three weeks behind. But instead, what we want you to do is take that and put it in your Bible, let it be an insert for you, and you can just check out the scriptures, check them off as you go along, because maybe the Holy Spirit says, whoa, whoa, we're going to hang out in, I don't know, Leviticus for the next three months, and you're just not getting through it, but God's really led you there. And so that's cool. You can just check it off and, and do that with no shame. Uh, the point is not burning through Scripture to say another notch in my belt. I've done it. But the point is be in the Scriptures in 2012 and really cherish those. And so um, I want to just encourage you to do that. Also, a few weeks ago, we pointed you to uh, uversion.com. So if you go online, uversion.com. Or you can just go on your smartphone or your iPad or whatever you have, if you have that, and you can... Uh, just under apps there, you can type in Bible, and the very first Bible that comes up is uversion.com. And you can go ahead and do that now if you want. I would recommend that you all get that 
download it. It's got Bible reading plans for you so you can read through the Bible and be guided. It's, uh, I was talking to Ryan Mears. He was telling me it's got these friendly reminders that if you, if you miss, if you miss um, your, your, your read-through, it'll send you a friendly email in just a gracious Christian robot kind of way. It'll say, just a friendly reminder that God's Word is valuable, so read it. <laughs> and so it's, it's funny. So anyhow, so I would encourage you to grab that online. And another cool thing, this is one of the coolest features I think that it has, is that you can click play and it will read it to you. And so some of you maybe struggle with comprehension. It will actually read it to you. So you can maybe be on the treadmill or you can be in your car or you can be reading and listening at the same time if if that's something that maybe would be of value to you. But here's our heart. We just want to resource you and help you, point you in the right direction. And so um, I would really encourage you to get that app and uh, really make it a point to get into the scriptures uh, for 2012. Um, So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about our new year together and hopefully a little bit of an unconventional kind of way. And so we'll do that tonight. And then next week, I'm really excited to announce that we're going to be starting a 10-week journey through the book of Philippians verse by verse. And it'll just, I think, be a really powerful time. Uh, We're going to call this series Unconventional Joy. Uh, You know, we're in one of the most wealthy countries in the world, one of the most secure countries in the world. Yet most Americans will say, I don't have joy. I'm looking for it. And we believe that we have the answer here in Scripture, that joy is not some elusive treasure that we're just going to spend our life seeking after, but we can claim joy and we can find it not in all the promises of magazines and commercials and ads, but we can actually find it in the Lord. And so what I want to ask you to do is inside of your river guide, there's a blue card. It's just our invitation card. Take that bad boy, put it in your purse, uh, put it in your man purse if you have one of those, put it in your car, in your wallet. Some of you are like, I refuse, man purse, purse, never. But take that, keep it somewhere handy so that you can invite somebody. Uh, people need joy and we, we know where to find it. And so um, take advantage of that, invite somebody to that. We're going to kick that off next week, really excited about that. Why don't we pray? We've burned through all kinds of announcements. Why don't we pray and get right into it for tonight? God, we are so, uh, just so thankful for this new year. Um, We know that it's no different really than yesterday, but we do know that it reminds us that every day is a new fresh start in you. And so God, we thank you that you uh, forgive our sins and you throw them as far as the east is from the west. They're gone, God. And so we just thank you for that. And we thank you for the promise of a new year. We pray that it would be a, a year of power, for us as individuals, and a year of powerful things for us as, as a church. And so, God, I pray that tonight we can just think on this new year and all that is in store, uh, but we don't go into this new year uh, forgetting to praise you for all that you've done. You have done great things in 2011 as a church. We've seen a lot of people come to faith in Jesus. We just a few weeks ago had a baptism. God, we praise you for what that means. You are so good. You are so faithful, and we thank you for 2011. And as we move into 2012, we ask for big things. And I pray that tonight, Lord, uh, you would just really lead us into this, this new year um, in, a, in a way that just honors you. And so we commit it to you, Father. This is your night. Illuminate your scriptures to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's conventional practice for me as a pastor uh, to stand up here tonight, first day of the new year, first message of the new year, to stand up here and to motivate you to live for Jesus 
in 2012. Standard practice is for me to stand up here to capitalize on the new year and just, just get you juiced up so that you can leave tonight with just resolve in your heart that, that I am going to live for Jesus this year. I don't know about yesterday and last year, but this year's the year I'm going to be serious. That, that's kind of practice that I would just juice you up for that. But here's the problem. Many of you have played that game Year after year after year, you've heard a a fiery preacher challenge you, this is the year to live for Jesus. Uh, You've decided, this is the year I'm going to live for Jesus. And then you get home, and you didn't live for Jesus. And then the following year, another fiery preacher gets up and says, live for Jesus. And you decide, I'm living for Jesus. And then maybe this time you make it a little longer, and a few days pass, (laughs) and you don't live for Jesus And so now, because you're not living for Jesus, you start to distance yourself from Jesus because you start to see a pattern and you start to just wallow in shame. And that's exactly what the enemy wants for us. And so what happens for us all the time is that new year, maybe it's a new sermon, a a conference you go to, a retreat you go to, and you get fired up, I'm going to live for Jesus, but you enter into this cycle of resolve Effort, failure, shame. Resolve, effort, failure, shame. Resolve, effort, failure, shame. And maybe you're thinking, I know exactly what that cycle is all about because I'm there often. And so here we are again. And I could get you juiced up for Jesus. Or um, maybe we could learn that, you know what, doing the same thing, you know, always bears the same results. And so um, what we need to do is, is something a little different tonight. We need to look at the scriptures a little more uh, seriously. And we're going to uh, look at two primary passages tonight. Um, usually we kind of go through a big, hearty chunk of scripture. But tonight's going to be, I think, a little just kind of very practical in the front side of things. And so um, that's how we're going to do it. Um, it's so easy for us to, to, to go into this year treating Jesus as another New Year's resolution. Like he's your $10 a month membership with no commitment to workout world. You know what I'm talking about? Becky and I just had uh, this conversation the other day um, about workout world. And uh, we were, you know, I, I don't know, I was thinking about it yesterday. I was thinking this conversation was really, really flawed, this workout world conversation. Um, so we were, we were talking about how we spend too much money for our membership at the YMCA, um, we kind of spend a good chunk of money there for a family because, you know, health is important, yet we never go. And, uh, you know, life is crazy right now. we got three kids. we got a lot on our plate. And so we're not there a whole lot. And so we started talking about how, you know, 2012, maybe we should get a membership to Workout World because we've seen the billboards, you know, Workout World, $10, and it says no commitment under there. You know, we've also seen Planet Fitness is now jumping on the bandwagon. I just got an email from the YMCA. We're going to lower our rates by $2, right? I'm like, okay, not very much. But it, here's the thing. We, I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking, this is kind of messed up. You know, we're like, let's go to, to Workout World and do $10 a month because then we won't be paying as much to not go to the gym right? And, and the thinking is messed up because it kind of begins with the, the assumption that we're not going to the gym next year. Do you understand? It, it, it just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Like, let's pay as little as possible to not go anyways. You know what I mean? And 
I, I was thinking about it. You know, this is probably where some of us are at right now at the start of 2012 when it comes to Jesus. Is Hey, you know, I've seen myself here in this position time and time again. I make these resolutions for the Lord and I fail to keep it. Or maybe it's, hey, this year I'm going to go to this next level in my faith and you have all these big plans and you, you, you fail to keep it. And so maybe you've kind of seen that pattern in your, in your life and so you go into 2012 uh, this year saying, you know what, I'm just going to kind of have a loose commitment. Like, yes, I want to live for Jesus. Yes, I want to see great things. Yes, I want to uh, do things a little differently. Yes, I want to grow. But, it, you know, really it's just kind of this loose commitment in, in your heart. Maybe you're not speaking it. You're certainly not writing it down on your blog or on your Facebook status because you're, it's, not, it's not something that you're going to firmly stand to because you maybe know in your heart, yeah, I'm probably going to, to fail. And, you know, when we do this whole loose commitment thing, it's a way that we protect ourselves from disappointment. We just kind of loosely commit to things because, you know, I don't think I'm really going to succeed. I, I, I know that I, I'm, I'm not going to be committed because I'm not going to succeed. And we just kind of treat Jesus like workout world. But the problem is, unlike workout world, Jesus isn't cheap. You understand that, right? Like Jesus is, is not cheap. He paid the eternal price for our sins, and, and it cost us nothing but it did cost something. It cost a great price. It cost God everything. Everything. And so I say it time and time and time and time again. Now listen, in the Christian faith, there is no room for apathy. Understand, God came down Christmas, lived the life in our shoes, and God died. You get that, right? God died. And so there is zero room for apathy and so what do we do then do we if there's no room for apathy there's no room for for half-heartedness do we just not make commitments at all do we not have any kind of plan to to live for the lord what do we do here's 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 what i want to do tonight i want to i want to just give you a simple little phrase i hope it will stick with you and keep it real simple tonight tonight here's here's the phrase make a plan but let him be the man. Cheesy, but say it with me. You ready? One, two, three. Make a plan, but let him be the man. So we got two points tonight. Not rocket science. Two points. Make a plan, but let him be the man. Right? So here's point number one. Make a plan. Listen, if, if something is important to you, you make a plan, right? We're all planners. A lot of us say, oh, I'm not a planner. If something's important enough to you, you're going to plan. Some of you have a retirement plan because you know that you're going to grow old, as we all do. You're going to lose your mental uh, faculties, right? It's going to start to slip. You're not going to be able to get a job anywhere, and so you're putting money away, retirement plans. Some of you, you have uh, plans for summer vacation. Maybe those are in the work. You're starting to think about it. We're going to Key West, baby. You got plans, right? Because it's important to you that you get away. You make a plan. Something's important. You plan for it. A lot of people have educational plans. I want to go to this school. I want to get this degree. Then I want to move and get this master's degree. Then I want to get this internship or this apprenticeship or this fellowship. And then I want to work here for a little while. I want to move up the ladder. We've, you've got plans because that's important to you. The point is if something's important, 
We, we make a plan. And so, first day of 2012, what's your plan for growth this year spiritually? What's your plan for growing in, in Christ this, this year? You know, the Bible is all about planning. I mean, you look, God is a planner. And so this is not some kind of secular idea that let's plan and let's just shove the Holy Spirit in the closet. Because he, le- no, we, God is a planner. You look at the, the, the account of God creating the world, and you look at how systematic he was in what he did, Genesis 1 and 2. It's pretty incredible. He made the world. He did this, 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 and this. And then in the very end, he, he puts man and says, I've created all this. You're in. He had a very laid out plan. There's such order in the world. God is, is a planner. You th- then go into to the, the end of, of Leviticus. You get into end of Exodus and get into Leviticus, you start to see all these details that God is laying out that are pointing us, foreshadowing the coming of Christ and what he's going to do. God had a plan, and throughout history, God is working out what we call salvation history. He says, here's what's going to happen, and this is what's going to happen. The law is going to show them that they're not good enough, and it's going to work this way. God has a plan because he's a planner. If we want to be Christ-like, we need to, we need to be planners as well so listen to Proverbs chapter 21 verse 5 this is a really good one for you for the start of this year Proverbs 21 verse 5 just a good nugget of truth here it is it says the the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty so just casually rolling through life According to this is not good for you. And so I want to encourage us to begin to think through what are my plans spiritually for 2012? What are, what are my plans to, to grow in the Lord for, for 2012? Here's what one of my pastors uh, says. I have a couple guys that I'd say these are my pastors. Here's what one of them says. He says, listen, if you don't lead your life intentionally, your life will randomly lead you. I mean, have you, have you not seen that? to play out true in your life if you don't lead your life here's where we're going intentionally your life is going to randomly lead you you're going to start getting tossed to and fro and you're going to end up somewhere that you don't want to be and so we need to consult the lord and we need to develop a very clear plan as to how we're going to grow this year where we're going to where we want to go and be in our walk with christ this year we need to be intentional about how we're going to lead our lives and I understand that, that all of us in the room were at kind of different places in, in life. And so as we talk through some of the plans that I think we need to jump into, uh, some of us need to make plans for repairing some things. And some of us maybe ne- need to make plans for growing some things. Let me, use, let me just use marriage as an example so you can understand what I mean when I say repairing and growing. For some of us, marriage needs repair. And without a plan, your marriage is going to continue to disintegrate, right? And so you need a plan. How are we going to move towards health? Some of us, maybe your marriage is, is healthy right now, but we have to continue to grow in it because this world is ridden with sin. And so things are going to push up against our marriage and Satan is going to attack a God-honoring marriage and try to make it fall. Right? And so we can't just say, oh, we're doing good, let's just hang out. No, we're, we're doing good, how are we going to continue to protect it? How are we going to continue to grow it? And so some of us need plans for repair, and others of us need plans for, 
for growth. And, and, and we need to s- really start thinking through uh, tonight. Let's, let's think through four categories. I pr- probably go more categories, but I just want to go through four really broad categories that I think are incredibly important as I study through the scriptures. I think they're really themes of the scriptures that God wants us to, to really be deliberate and intentional about. So let me give you these four categories. And, and you want to write these down on the back of your river guide. There's pens in the baskets. Write these down so you don't forget these four. And I want to encourage us to start thinking through a plan. The four categories are Lord, home, purity, and gifts. Lord, home, purity, and gifts. And I want to challenge us to make a plan for these four in 2012. Let's just talk about them quickly. I mean, I could go on and do a sermon about each of these. And in fact, I think I have done a sermon about each of these at some point. So go online and look for them if you need some help in a particular area. But let's talk about Lord for a second. You need a plan for your relationship with God in 2012. Now, I remember when I first met my beautiful wife. She was just this, this wonderful girl that sang that I just thought was amazing. And I, guys, I'm telling you, me and my buddies were in the dorm room. We were conspiring. How am I going to pursue this girl? This got so bad that, that in the cafeteria one day, one of my guys' buddies came up behind me. This is something goofy college kids do, I guess, but picks me up. It's like, go. And he starts dragging and kicking, like, get off of me. Brings me over there to, to meet this, this girl. And then I get over there, and there was some other smooth guy trying to do the same thing I was doing. So I was crushed. But it, it worked out. Listen, have a plan. I had a plan to build that relationship. I had a plan to build that relationship. How are you going to build your relationship with the Lord this year? Uh, James chapter 4, verse 8, uh, gives us a great promise. It says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So how are you going to draw near to God in, in 2012? What about your prayer life? Some of you, it's non-existent because you're like, oh, I'm just going to pray when I think of it, but you never think of it. How about your, your, your time in Scripture? Everybody leaves here saying, that's good. I have intentions of reading scripture and reading more of that. Without a plan, it doesn't, doesn't happen. And how about how you're just going to grow in the walk with the Lord? You're going to surround yourself with people. So what does that mean? What does your church involvement look like? If it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to get there. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go. There's always an excuse. Listen to me. There's always an excuse not to go to church. There's a game on. There's always, you're, you're always tired. The, the, the kids woke up. Mine like 10 times. You know, I, I, I feel your pain. There's always an excuse, but is it a priority? Is it a part of the plan? Becky and I, our plan is, listen, on vacation, we're going to church. Because if we let that excuse slip in there, then other times we can let it slip in. We're always going to church. Make a plan. I want to grow in my walk with the Lord. Another one is, is your home. Next one is your home. I'm talking about your marriage and your family. All of you, even though you're, you're not married, hang with me. Marriage and your, your family. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, write that down. You need to know that. That is one of those calibrate my life chapters often. Like once a month, I'm, I'm in that chapter. I'm saying, all right, God, how are we doing here? Call me out, God. Show me if there's any wicked way in me. Deuteronomy 6, Scripture makes it very clear that, that our faith is a generational thing. I say this often, you can't carpool to heaven, you don't ride with mom and dad to heaven, however, 
It is something that we are to, to, to pass on to our children. There's this one pastor that I've listened to some of his stuff on this, and he just makes the best illustration. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who draws a child to Christ, a person to Christ. He does that work in their heart. And so as a parent, you can't make your kid a Christian. My, my sons are upstairs, and they're hanging out at church. My daughter's in the nursery. She doesn't get it at all. But here's the thing. I'm talking to my sons often about Jesus often about Jesus. They're here, doesn't make him a Christian, but what this pastor says is, here's what you're doing. You're setting up kindling wood, and you're saying, all right, God, I'm doing everything I can. When you're ready, Holy Spirit, let my child just ablaze his heart for Christ. Set his heart ablaze. I pray that often. God, please draw my kids to you. I'm praying that they have a boring testimony. That's my prayer. That they'll, like me, come to faith at a young age, and it's a sleeper. That's what I'm praying for. But some people will set up the kindling wood around their kid's heart, and it's not till they're 26 they come to know the Lord. 30. But God is faithful. You do what he's called you to do. Lead your family well, your, your, your children. How about your, in your home? It's not just your children. It's, it's, it's also starting with your, your marriage. And so Ephesians chapter 5 calls us men to, to lead our wives well to to wash her with the water of the word we're to do that to do that often and so develop a plan for your your marriage you know i'm i'm convinced that one of the best things that i can do for you as your pastor is have a solid marriage believe that with all of my heart because i want to set the example for here's what a god-honoring marriage looks like i'm just burdened for that and so what that looks like is we have a plan we got date night. Sam was running PowerPoint a few weeks back, and she came up to me afterwards and said, this is the cutest thing ever. But while she's working on the computer, a little chime comes up, and it says, date night, be creative. She said, that was awesome, Josh. I said, did it go on the screen? She said, no, it didn't. You're lucky. I'm like, yeah, very lucky. Here's the thing. Make it a priority. Make it a plan. Put it on the calendar. I'm dating my wife, right? I don't want to drift apart. And so you make a plan. We got a plan. We were talking about this just, I think it was two days ago. How are we going to grow together in our walk with the Lord in 2012? It was funny. We were, we're, we're kind of boring when it comes to uh, the late night. We're not late night people at all. And so last night we went, to, we went to bed thinking, ah, who cares? We're just going to bed. We're so beyond staying up till midnight. I'm not good past like 8 o'clock at night. And so if I preach long, I'll start falling asleep up here. It'll be hysterical. Listen, we were, we, so we just went to bed. And here's what we did. We pray before we go to sleep, and we start praying, and all of a sudden, firecrackers start going off. I said, look at that. That's pretty cool. We just prayed into the new year. I mean, it's midnight right now. It was awesome. It was awesome. And so we, we have a plan. We're going to pray together when we go to sleep. We're going to read scripture together. My kids are going to wake up, and I'm going to read scripture to these boys. We've got their little Bible. Guys, if, if you're not doing this, we have resources on the website. If you go to the website and go to resources, we have books that you can go to. You can buy those on Amazon.com, and you can lead your kids through some of these, these books that will help you. It's so important. We want to resource you in that. But develop a plan. Develop a plan. How are you going to make your home a place that is Christ-centered and God-honoring? for 2012. Now, marriage and family applies to all of you who are single. We've got a lot, of, a lot of single people. We're in Boston. I get it. Young professionals. Listen, you start developing the plan for 2012 today, even if you don't think you're going to be married until 2050, right? 
You develop a plan for your marriage and your family because here's the thing. You start working on those things now. What you're doing is you're laying a foundation. You're laying a foundation. I was telling a guy the other day, we were talking about, about this and about marriage. And I said, listen, here's what you got to do. You want a woman? You got to put good bait on the hook, right? That means you got to be the man of God that you need to be. And he's going to start bringing the right people. You get that? So you start working on, on your heart and, and your marriage and your family by growing in your, in your walk in, in 2012. Here's the next one is purity. Purity. Now what I'm talking about here is personal holiness. Personal holiness. It means that the, the sins of 2011, we've got to start to confess those sins to the Lord. We've got to start to deal with those sins. Now they were all nailed to the cross. They're, they're handled eternally. When you trust in Jesus uh, uh, in, in, in faith, that, that sin is taken care of. However, we still, as, in a, out of the desire to honor the Lord, we've got to deal with our sin. And so we start by confession. Maybe some of you right now, there's not like the, the big three sex drugs and rock and roll, I don't know, that are sticking out in your mind right now. What you need to do is you need to pull a David, Psalm 139, Search me, O oh God. Show me if there's any wicked way. I promise you that's a, that's a prayer that he can easily answer. You start praying, God, show me. And he'll say, here it is, right there. I mean, for me, it takes like half a second. God, I think I'm doing all right. Nope, bam, right there. He, he, he wants you to grow in your, your purity. And so start with confe- confession and start to deal with the sin. Start to set up maybe some plan for accountability. Who are you going to talk to about the sin you struggle with? Start to shed light on your sin. And start to come out with it so that you can grow and have yourself and other people pray over that sin with you. But deal with it and develop a plan. Uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, I was just reading this the other day. It's just this beautiful passage that talks about, beautiful and scary, it talks about leaven in a lump of dough. And it says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right, we get that, right? A little bit of leaven gets in there. And the whole lump starts to rise and, and and what the illustration here that Paul gives is, listen, you need to deal with your sin. Because it might seem like this kind of this category that nobody knows and eh, it doesn't really affect me. But you've got to deal with it because it does affect you. It does affect you and it will, uh, it will grow and it will affect the whole lump. And so God wants you to, to clean out, he says in First Corinthians there. He says he wants you to clean out that leaven. Because number one, God is concerned with your restoration. And then number two, because he doesn't want you with your sin and your ignoring your sin to bring reproach upon the gospel and reproach upon his bride, Christ's bride, the, the, the church. And so clean out the leaven and deal with that. That's, that's purity, purity. Here's, here's the next one is, is our gifts. I want you to develop a plan for your gifts. Spiritual gifts, maybe it's your, your resources. You got breath, that's a gift. How are you going to use it in, in 2012? Your ability, maybe the resources of finances. What's your plan to honor God with your finances? What's your plan to honor God with your time, with your home? Listen, I don't want this stuff to overwhelm you. I'm just thinking sit down, maybe just jot down some bullet points where you'd like to be and start to pray through and ask God to help you understand how you can grow in these things for uh, 2012. How are we going to use our, our gifts to, to serve uh, one, the church, because God gives us spiritual gifts so that we might edify each other and build each other up and glorify God with them, but also how are you going to serve the world with what God's given you? 
Are you going to serve your neighbor with what God's given you? And, and, and so be thinking through your gifts and, and, and uh, develop a plan. So, Lord, home, purity, and gifts. I told you this before, and I'll say it again. Good intentions don't mean jack. Good intentions don't mean jack. A lot of us leave here with great intentions. We need a plan. A, a goal without a plan is wishful thinking. You've got to have a plan, so develop one. Hopefully you got that in your head. Right, so start to think through these four things. Now, here's where we move to the next section here. Point number two of two. Assuming you develop a plan, maybe you go home, maybe you spend some time this week, you develop a plan. Here's where it all falls apart. Your, your plan falls apart if you make a plan, no matter how wonderful it is, no, how, no matter how much Christian accountability you put around you. Your plan falls apart if you seek to execute your plan apart from Christ. Because that's just called morality. And morality doesn't stand up in the end. We make a plan, but we have to let him be the man. Now, I know that that can come across as irreverent, and that is not my intention. Jesus is not the man. He's not the t-shirt, you know, my homeboy. It drives me nuts when you see that. Listen, Jesus, by, by, by me saying that you let him be the man, understand God is God, but we just celebrated Christmas that he came and took on flesh and dwelt among us. He became a man, and he lived our life perfectly, sinlessly. Scripture says that the, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He was the man that I couldn't be. He lived life perfectly and he gave himself as a substitution by dying on a cross taking on our punishment as our whipping boy and so he gave his life and his death so that we could be made right if we would trust in him and so we make our plans and we honor that proverb we make our plans but we let his life on earth as a man perfect be that which makes us right with god we trust in what he did as as a man and how he resurrected to life and the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we make the plans, but do not be deceived into thinking that your execution of those plans buys you favor with God, because it doesn't. We trust in what he has done, what God in the flesh has done. And we live out these plans out of gratitude for what he's done, out of God, I want to honor you for what you've done. And so that's why I have these plans because I really want to honor you. Holiness is really important to me, God. I want to I raise my children in you. I want to lead my, my family in you. I want to be pure. I want to use my gifts for your kingdom and for your glory. You did the work, but I want to have a plan to honor you moving forward. But also, also, by him being the man, he's also given us power so that we can honor him. You understand that, right? He's given us power to execute that plan. So it's not just, I'm going to execute the plan. He did all the work, and I'm just going to try to be holy. No, he says, I, I've done the work, but I've also, I'm here with you. And I'm going to help you and empower you to execute the plan. So flip with me to Colossians 1. It took a long time coming, but flip to Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. We'll, we'll, we'll read it in, in just a second, but I just want to give you the main purpose of this letter because this, I think this will really help us. The main purpose of this letter to the church at the city of Colossae is to clear up 
this uh, thing we call the Colossian heresy. And we read kind of at the beginning of, of the letter and at the end of the letter uh, that this guy named Epaphras, who is a member of the church of Colossae, is currently hanging out with Paul. He's spending some time with Paul. And, and, and Epaphras was converted to Christian faith during Paul's three-year ministry to Ephesus. And so then what Epaphras does is he then carries the gospel to Colossae and this young church, uh, the Colossian church, is, is, is formed. And so he now, hanging out with Paul, informs Paul of some false teachings that are floating around the church of, of Colossae. And, and, and as you look over into chapter 2, you can start to see uh, what this, this heresy, this false teaching is all about. And, and verse 9, a few verses prior to that too, you see that there's this, this early Gnostic teaching that, that Jesus was merely a man, that God couldn't, couldn't possibly dwell in human form. And, and so they denied that. They struggled with that. Verse 10, we see that they denied that the Christian is complete in Christ alone. And so what they started to do, the, the, the heresy going on here, is they start to, to add practices that will, uh, in, in hopes, heighten their spirituality. And so this passage, what we're looking today, is so important to us because at the beginning of this, this new year, as we start to develop some plans for how we want to honor God in, in 2012, we have to understand that they do not complete our salvation. That's, that's the Colossian heresy, that they're an overflow of, of our salvation, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We have to get that. So now let's read it. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. He says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so according to Paul here, there, there's a mystery that has been revealed. Now a mystery is, is something that was once concealed, but is now re- revealed. And Paul is excited. He's, he's, he's really excited to tell us about this news. The, the answer, here's the, the, the mystery has been revealed. Here's what the saints of God need. Uh, before we get into the, the revelation of the mystery, let's, let's think again on, on the problem here. Remember what the problem is. The problem is sin, right? Romans chapter 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I was just thinking today as I was kind of going through my notes a little bit here about that word, fall short of the glory of God. I think as a child, I memorized that verse wrong. And so I was speaking somewhere and I just kind of said it real quick in passing, wasn't even thinking about it. And I said, all of sin and and, and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and I, later, the day, later in, the, in the week, this, this youth leader comes up to me and says, Josh, you said fallen short of the glory of God. I'm like, oh, did I? He's like, you know, it's not fallen. It's fall short of the glory of God. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I memorized that one. I just kind of said it quick and in, in passing. You understand why that's so important. It's not that, hey, we once sinned. It's that we, we it wasn't that we had fallen. We fall often. We, we, we are never good enough. We can never be good enough. We always fall short of the glory of, of God. And so when it comes to maybe living the Christian life for many, or maybe I'd even say for, for most, maybe where, where, where you're at right now is, is you're at that place where, you know, the, the right things are not happening in your faith, and the wrong things seem to be happening time and time and time again. You know, Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. He says, the 
The good I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. I mean, read the whole passage, all the verses surrounding that. He's pretty serious that I'm just messed up. I just can't get it right. And this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about here. He's like the greatest theologian of all time. Incredible stuff. And he's saying, I can't get it right. I, I do what I shouldn't do, and I don't do what I should do. And maybe you're totally there right now. Maybe you've, you, you've fallen into sin. Maybe you've even woke up this morning or last night, I don't know, and you just said, God, never again. Not, not in 2012, but sure enough, you're, you're also kind of loosely committed because you also maybe know that, that you'll be there again. You always do, and that's your, that's your pattern. Maybe you wonder, will I ever be free? Will I ever have victory from the sin? Will I ever experience the fullness of God? Maybe it's when I come to church this week, I'm going to get that one sermon. Maybe I'll go to that one retreat, or I'll go to that one conference, or I'll listen to that one a YouTube video of that passionate preacher, and it'll just hit me, and I'll, I'll get it, right? And these are big questions in our faith, like, will I ever have victory over the, the sin? How do I live for you, God? Will I ever have victory? Now, this is where I'll go against the, the grain of every motivational speaker out there. I'll say this. How do you live for the Lord? How do you have victory over sin? You ready for this? They're not going to invite me to the public school to give this lesson to all the children. You don't. You get that? You don't. You can't. I mean, I I refuse to kind of stand up here and and try to motivate you. Live for the Lord. You go be victorious over sin because you can't do it. You failed countless times. I failed even more. We can't do it. So I'm not going to stand here and say, fight sin, fight sin. You do it all by yourself. I'm not going to ask you to do that. Here's what God says that we're to do. He says, I want you to die. In other words, I want you to, I, I want you to stop trying and I want you to start dying. It, it, it's been said, stop, stop trying, start dying to self-effort, to self-power. Maybe it works in your career, but it does not work in the Christian faith. And that's why the Christian faith is so radically different than religion, which says, I'm going to earn my way back. I'm going to buy back God's favor. The Christian faith says, no, you can't. He is infinitely holy. We cannot be good enough. We fall short of God's glory, right? We fall short of God's glory. That's why Paul says, I have to die daily. So this 2012 thing, we're going to take it a day at a time. And a day at a time, open up the day saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, God, without you, I can't. I have on my phone, my alarm, when it goes off at 5 in the morning, the alarm goes off, and you know what it says? Gospel. Every morning, that's what the alarm says, gospel. It doesn't say wake up, it says gospel. So I remember I wake up, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm a wretched sinner, and I can't have victory apart from Christ today. Gospel. Wake up, Josh. There's your motivational speech to go do it today. So I had this, uh, I had this coach in high school. I was a cross-country runner. This guy was loud and obnoxious. And to top it off, he was about you know, three feet tall and looked like a leprechaun and just loud. But he was notorious for having the, the loudest voice at any cross-country race. It doesn't matter. I remember going to the state meet, and this guy was, I mean, there was like thousands of people there. And this guy, I could hear his voice on, on the trail over everybody, just 
do it, Wyatt. Go on, Wyatt. He would just scream at me. And you know what he didn't say when I got to the finish line? Wyatt, you can't do it, baby. You can't do it. You can't. No, that doesn't make sense. It goes against the, 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 the grain of what we're, we're taught. You tell people that they're good enough and try harder, and then they can do it. But the Christian faith says you can't do it. That's why Romans 3, 10, 12 says there's no one righteous. No, not one. No one that doeth good. No one who does good. I mean, we, we often like to quote as Christians Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? We, we like to often say that we're saved, not of, our, of ourselves, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. We, we quote that. That's our coffee cup verse, right? But then we go on and try to live our lives and make these plans. Here's how I'm going to live for the Lord. And a lot of times it's about the Lord, but it doesn't involve the Lord. It's not just I'm going to, out of gratitude for what he's done, he was the man, so now I'm going to go live for him. It's, it's, hey, it's not just I'm doing it because of what he did, but because of what he did and because he's with me to help me to execute the plan. He's doing it for me. He's doing it for me. And so enough beating you up and telling me you, that you, you, you can't do it. I, I want to look at 27 again. Here it is. It says, to, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, that's us, the Gentiles, are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Yeah, I mean, this is a good, this mystery is a big deal. This is a big deal is what he's saying. And God's chose to make this known to us. God wants us to know how awesome this is. Here it is. Here's the mystery revealed, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's it. So the mystery is you can't do it, but God can. And he's in you as your hope of glory. I remember as a little Sunday school child growing up, I always had this picture of, you know, Christ is in me. I always, you know, pictured, you know, you know the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and Jesus got shrunk, and he's kind of in my heart, right? It's always pictured. But growing up and understanding Christ in me, the hope of glory, for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. But Christ is in us, our hope of glory. And so if you want to be victorious in this life, it's I'm, I'm dying to myself and my effort because I see myself failing every year. But God, you're in me. You're my hope. God, God, live this out through me this year. That's why Galatians 4, 6 says, God sent forth the spirit of his son. And so Christ in us, that's the Holy Spirit that he has given us to, to live out the, the faith. And so the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That word in is so important. I've told you this before. I've heard it said this way, that, it, that so many people treat it as Christ and me, the hope of glory. Like, hey, Jesus, hold my hand. Let's go, let's go charge hell with a squirt gun. That's not how it works. It's not Christ and you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you. It's Christ, his spirit, animating your life and helping you to be victorious. And so it's not me and Jesus, and we can win. It's Jesus, through me, gives me the victory. And so, as we make plans into, into 2012, in these four areas that I think are so essential, be very careful to understand that these are plans that, that you have made 
as you consult the Lord and as you pray and as you look in the scripture, you, you're making these plans. Here's how I want to honor the Lord. But do not move into executing these plans. One is a way to please God and to earn his favor. Or two, to do it without God. Because you have God's favor as a Christian because you said, God, don't look at me. Look at what Jesus did. And he says, here's your favor. And now, God, I want to please you, and I want to do it not without you, but I want to do it with you. And so, God, every day, give me the strength to live this out. And when you fail, you don't let it push you into shame and say, here I am again. You say, God, please give me the strength. You cry out to him. That's why we went through that Behold series for several weeks, because you have to keep looking to God and stop looking at you and your actions. And you look to God and say, God, I want to see you. I want to see your power and you do it through me. And so I want to leave us tonight challenged to make a plan, but do not forget all that is implied in the fact that Christ is the man. He is the man. He lived it perfectly, and he gave us himself, his spirit. So let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we, uh, we understand that, that we are sinful. It's not the message the world wants to hear, but once they find out the rest of the story that we are sinful yet you still love us we are sinful yet you still have compassion upon us god may we just hear that and fall deeper in love with you we're so used to a world that if we offend somebody they they move on to another relationship but you say no i want to pursue you i love you i care for you i died for you i gave myself to you so, God, if there's anyone in here tonight who doesn't know Jesus, Lord, stir their hearts. The power of your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would just show them their, their deep need for a Savior. And God, in this moment, they might cry out to you and realize their sin and realize that you're Savior and you've given yourself to them. And that they might uh, just say yes to you and place faith, trust in you alone. And God, for those of us who are in this room, we're, we're Christian, we're, we want to live for you, we want to honor you, but we don't always see victory. Lord, may we make plans, or may we trust in you and what you've done, and may we trust in you to help us to have victory. Give us the victory, Lord. Fill us with your spirit and your power. And we love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.